This is The Hollis Story, a branded podcast from Hollis Spirits and Aryork Media about two lifelong friends who set out to challenge the spirit industry and create a vodka brand for millennials like them. I'm Rebecca Hamlin of Aryork Media, and I'm sitting down with the co-founders of Hollis Spirits who are gung-ho about taking on the vodka industry one bottle at a time. Guys, introduce yourselves as if I were meeting you at a bar or a party for the first time. I'm Patrick Short with Hala Vodka. We are out of York, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour north of Baltimore or about two hours west of Philadelphia. And I'm Matt Glasser, and I help Patrick try to move Hala Vodka as well. <laughs> Get it done, right. Um, so you guys, uh, I, I've known you for a little while, and if even though I, I know kind of your background and who you are, um, it still surprises me that you are vodka guys. Um, and that your vodka brand is Hala Vodka. So talk to me a little bit about that. What What is Hala Vodka and, and what makes that unique for you guys? Matt, you want to take that one with the, uh, the background of the word? Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, the word Hala itself, I mean, we grew up in the 90s. So, you know, hip hop had just started to go like mainstream. Hala was a term that was prevalent in a lot of the major musical acts at the time, and we always just thought it was like a fun, exciting word. So fast forward a couple years later, after college, um, we're just casually throwing back ideas through emails, phone calls, and we just really liked Hala for a brand name in general. Uh, There's pretty much two people, two types of people when they see the word Hala. The first reaction is someone that's like, Ola or Hala. <laughs> and then there's other people that see it and instantly they're just like, Hala. And we were kind of excited by that level of interest that the word just would instantly generate from people that got it. Yeah. So that's what attracted us to the word. In terms of how we linked it to vodka, that kind of was something associated with Pat. I'll let him go into more detail about that then. Gotcha. Okay. So before we get too much into the brand and what Hala is. Um, we want to talk a little bit about your background and how you're connected. So you guys have actually known each other for most yeah, of your lives. Probably since we were about 10, 12 years old. Um, our parents were friends growing up and there's about five families that always kind of stuck together. So my sister was friends with Matt's sisters. I was friends with Matt growing up. Um, we go to basketball camp together. That didn't really pan out for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we played golf against each other in high school. Um, we would go to family vacations at the beach together, go up into a cabin in northern Pennsylvania, that kind of thing, and just always remain friends. So we're still, all five families are good friends till this day, and we hang out a lot. And, you and guys, now we've got a business together. And so you guys went to more college together. Intimate. We did, right. yeah. Penn yeah, State. So. Both went to Penn State. Um, Matt was up there first. He's a year ahead of me in school and went up there. I went up my senior year of high school. And um, prior to going to Penn State, I was like, ah, it's too cold up there. No way I'm going to go there. One night out or one weekend out with Matt. And I was like, yep, we're we're (laughs) definitely going to go to Penn State. This is a winner. Yeah, it's for us. And we ended up as roommates uh, junior and senior year. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you guys have, the Hala brand has in some ways been an alter ego for you guys where it's it's this really fun loud party kind of brand that Mm -hmm. people don't see that from you guys monday through friday but how did that start to develop even early on when you guys were at penn state that you almost kind of trickle on that persona of 
of what the Holobrand would be. Yeah, I think some of that came from our origins at school, just, you know, enjoying going out and having fun and being a part of that atmosphere. Um, I think we're both relatively shy and in general, but I think it, it is our alter ego where we get to express some creativity and, you know, we stay behind the scenes. We put out Holovaca for everybody to have a really good time. You know, our first bottle had a UV reactive coating on it. We wanted people to go into the nightclub and instead of, you know, some of the crafty style brands you see in there, let's amp it up a little bit and, you know, have a good time. And I would add that even if you are a shy, quiet type, if you've seen the nightlife in State College, it can definitely make you the holotype. (laughs) (laughs) So when you guys were were in school, um, you know, Penn State, not shy about being a, a fun school to be at. What did that look like for you guys? I mean, what were were you guys at that time messing around with the idea for Hala Vodka or what what did that look like at that time for you guys? Not so much as a business idea or anything like that. I mean, at that point, any interaction we had with alcohol was purely recreational, <laughs> but it wasn't until really after college that we even entertained the idea of going, like going into business in the alcohol industry. Mm-hmm. When, um, you know, you created, a, and we'll get into this a little bit down the road, but you created this vodka that really spoke to your generation. So when you guys were kind of coming to age with drinking, what was out there for your generation? Gosh, yeah. So we would walk into liquor stores in State College or, you know, if we were home for break. And in Pennsylvania, they're a little bit more bland, you know, white walls, gray shelving, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And you'd start bottom shelf typically okay that's your razor blade vodka tastes you know not so good going down college budget college budget yeah eight bucks a handle kind of thing um then you looked at middle shelf and was like okay this is pretty much everything our parents drank for many years which is all either very very stale or faded or just kind of you know old didn't resonate and then you look at the top shelf and you've got tall bottles frosted glass twice the price not much better quality than anything you'll find on the middle shelf. Um, So it's just kind of annoying to see um, some of the gimmicks that were out there, so to speak, Um, and just companies, big companies trying to, you know, force you to pay a little bit more of a premium for something that's not really worth it. And it was frustrating. It was like, okay, well, I think maybe we can do better than that someday, but never acted on it at that time. So what were you going to school for? Accounting. Both of us. <laughs> a little drier. A lot drier. Yeah, I know. Uh, if you've met accountants, we're not the the most active type generally. Yeah, sure. But put a little hollow vodka in us, and no pocket protectors. No. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, when was it then that you guys graduated from Penn State with your accounting degrees? Two thousand eight for both of us, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though I was there a year early, I uh, took one for the team and stayed an extra year <laughs> to uh, graduate. They the enticed time. you there. You were having <laughs> yeah. a good time. Twisted no. He was the smart one and added added time to his stay. So after graduation, you you have these accounting degrees. Um, what did you guys end up doing? I went into construction, um, working for a family business here in York. Came back. My family's here. Um, went into that and you know stayed there for about eight, eight years. Okay. And I pretty much did the complete opposite. I was totally disenchanted with accounting by the time I had graduated. I kind of made a a half half assed effort to uh, try to find a real job per se. Yeah. 
ended up going into like, uh, you know, just serving at restaurants, uh, pizza delivery, things like that, anything to get by and actually ended up going back to school to take some IT classes, Mm -hmm. tried to uh, start my own like fantasy football type platform with some friends. We entertained that idea for a couple of years, never really panned out. And I eventually found myself caddying outside of Philadelphia. And that's kind of where the timing lines up, where we started really discussing about moving forward with Hala. Okay. So what happened at that time period where, you know, you're, you're caddying? Are you still at the family business at that point? Yeah, yeah. Still in construction, a little bit of sales. Uh, it was about five years after we graduated from school. Um, I was up in Portland, Maine, visiting a customer and shadowing one of our salespeople. And we had taken this customer golfing. We were sitting out on the patio afterwards having some drinks. And uh, this gentleman, good friend now, um, started telling us the story about one of his good friends that he grew up with. And he started two big household names of vodka and some other spirits, rums, vodka, whiskey, that kind of thing. And it was like, okay, that's interesting. I wonder how he did it or how he got started and, you know, why he did it. And um, in the vodka space, it was, you know, it's very hard to create a distinct vodka. So most of it in general is marketing. And we wanted, you know, obviously looking back, it was like, okay, there's nothing for our generation. How can we get into that and how can we make something fun? So we sat there, had some shots of whipped cream vodka and, you know, just kind of heard that story and then got home and really started digging into the industry and learning more about it. So, I mean, what was it particular about, um, you know, that timeline, you, you graduated at kind of a crummy time to graduate from college. Mm-hmm. It was the height of Horrible the recession. Yeah. <laughs> so Horrible. you experienced it couch surfing in the Philly area. Um, so you, you get this idea. Um, what about that conversation and coming back from that? What were those next steps? Uh, Next Steps was about a year of research, um, bottle design. Matt and I worked with a company. um, So basically, we would come home from work and have three hours to work with a company company based in Portland, Oregon. Okay. That we would have, you know, three hours to work on design or the bottle or that kind of thing. We wasted, what, six months on a bottle that NASA would have had to... (laughs) put together for us with knew nothing you know, about glass integrity and structure stuff like that okay. so we were coming up with these really ornate designs and <laughs> they were basically telling us we could do a test mold run some samples and every single one of them could just break off the second you pick them up oh, so geez. yeah so that didn't work out and went back to the drawing board went with a, a stock bottle and worked with the right companies to to come up with what is hollow today did you guys know anybody at the time who was doing anything like that, like making their own liquors or anybody in the area that you could talk to? Because it's such a, like, who's just going to come up with, like, a vodka? So where did you guys we didn't kind know of any glean information? People. We, mm-hmm. we all had some people that we knew through other people that we had heard had tried the micro brew or the micro beer thing. Okay. So we did know some people that had done that. Yeah, and unlike, I'd say unlike microbrewing, you know, micro distilling, you weren't allowed to take a still and create vodka or spirits in your basement or in your garage because sure. it's a federal offense. So we were like, okay, um, <laughs> that's not going to work, right. but talk to Christian Quinlivan at okay. Liquid Hero that you would be familiar with. Um, he was super helpful. We went down there, took a tour. He showed us around sort of, you know, how they got started and showed us the origins of that. And then Jeremiah Anderson, uh, also working downtown at the time, 
was used to be a liquor rep and he's like yeah guys you should definitely get into this um we would push products that were you know nowhere near what you guys are trying to put out so and, and for people who don't know jeremiah he's with white rose and, and rockfish and, yeah and those two establishments i think it's always been really cool you know looking at today you walk in there you guys have some nice representation yeah. in these like hometown places um so, I mean, I think that's interesting in some ways that you were able to get support even with that early idea mm-hmm. um, to get into some of those places. Um, so at that point, you're talking to some local people. You're you're playing around with the right kind of bottle to be able to hold what it is that you want to get out there. Um, with brand building, bottle design, um, state and federal regulations mm. and licensing yeah those were interesting um, but you were doing <clears throat> Took... some of this stuff still while you had other jobs yeah all of it um i was still working at the construction company we were working nights weekends got nights till midnight 2 a.m you know building our own pallets and getting ready to you know start to go labeling it. bottles and uh you can talk about the yeah, I mean, storage I had... facility and early on i was still caddying at the time okay. so i mean when we were trying to find the supplies, like glass, things like that, I mean, that was stuff that you could kind of do in your spare time. Now, once we actually got all of the materials for the initial batch of uh, original vodka that we did, all the empty glass, all the labels, at that time, I had stopped caddying. and I was oh, okay. basically doing this full time because it just wasn't something I could really work around. Like he said, I mean, when we were labeling the first batch of glass, I mean, we were spending, I was in the kitchen of my parents house bringing in glass bottles from the garage running them through the machine stacking wow. them on the table putting neck labels on throwing them back in the case i was doing like eight ten hour shifts of that a day Jeez. so and then <laughs> driving back and forth to our self-storage facility where we were storing all this empty glass so in a honda that, civic yeah <laughs> honda civic nonetheless gotta so. get it <laughs> So, I mean, yeah, at that point, it wasn't something that we could just kind of, at least for, on that side of it, it wasn't something that I could balance with another job. Like, I needed to have need to be all total right. free time for this. Yeah. So, where you've got the, you're working on labeling bottles and storing them. Where's the vodka? Vodka, at that point, um, we were, well, we searched all around the country. We looked into starting a micro distillery okay. in downtown York. Uh, worked with Dylan Bauer to find some properties. Um, didn't have the money to do that at the time. Um, we were trying to figure out, okay, can somebody else make this stuff for us? So we're calling around the country, even up into Canada with other distilleries, asking them like, hey, we want to start this vodka brand. Um, are you able to make this product for us and that kind of thing? And at that point, it turned out pretty easily. We found a really nice company in Philadelphia to work with, and uh, they helped us with our first batches to sort of get up and running. Okay. That was really, really successful um, and worked out well for us, you know, with our day jobs and that kind of thing until they called Matt out of the blue one day and said, hey, uh, we're not going to be doing any more third-party products. Turns out mm-hmm. later on we learned they got bought out and uh, just kind of focused on their own stuff. So at that point, it was like, okay, you know, we have our jobs and, you know, can still make cash doing whatever and uh, just went back to the grind and we didn't give up, but we were definitely at a, at a brick wall. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think that kind of naturally leads us into, Matt, you had um, an interesting experience on the golf course um, that really was a turning point for you guys. Tell us about 
about that interaction and what what happened as a caddy yeah so i mean now that i'm actually thinking about it it since caddying seasonal it would have been like the summer i was still caddying as we were sourcing everything that winter would have been when a lot of the bottling and stuff or okay. the labeling had been done so yeah. it's not that i had i wasn't caddying it just it wasn't the season at the time gotcha. so i think that, that following summer would have been around the time that we lost our original contract distiller oh, okay so i mean part of the deal with caddying is a lot of those guys, it's not the only thing they do. They have other side jobs. So just sure. part of the small talk is whoever you're carrying their bag, they're like, hey, what do you do when you're not caddying? So at that point, I was telling people, you know, me and my buddy are trying to start a vodka company from scratch. And it just so happened that this guy was an investor in a Pennsylvania gin company. And he let me know that. So when we found out that we lost the contract distiller, I had that name in the back of my head, went on their website, found Rhiannon, who was their head distiller at the time, and I just sent her an email and pretty much laid out the story. Told her, look, I'm caddying at a golf club here. A guy <laughs> just mentioned that he invests in your company. We just had a contract distiller that no longer can make vodka for us. Can you help us out? And I mean, that's pretty much how we met Rhiannon. And she got back to me like a day or two later and it was just like, you know, I usually don't respond to random requests like this, <laughs> but there's just something about your guy's story that's interesting to me. And she followed up on it and we just kind of started moving forward from there. So who is she? Rhiannon Walsh is uh, kind of our second mother now. Okay. Um, <laughs> I would say she has been integral to the brand and getting us really from those early days to, to where we've gotten to now. Um, Rhiannon, she's from Ireland, um, came over to the U.S. many years ago, I, I guess, uh, to start the San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Okay. And ran that for a few years, ended up back in Philadelphia area, and uh, like Matt said, was working on some other spirits at the time. She has an extensive knowledge in brown spirits, in, uh, you know, bourbons, whiskeys, scotches, that kind of thing. She's an expert nose and, uh, you know, can basically um, blend or create world-class spirits um, uh, like it's, you know, it comes just naturally to Rhiannon with what she does and, and has access to all the vendors and the people that you know, she's gotten us acquainted with to be able to make the, the new products that we've put out here. Um, again, we like to stick to kind of all natural stuff, no chemical additives, real, you know, we're using real mint, we're using real jalapeno, real cinnamon. And that's where Rhiannon's, you know, personal touch comes into play where she loves, loves the brand and is really high on quality and, and knows how to make it, you know, very high quality product. So we got lucky. Um, she had no business really having lunch with us that day. And um, just we met and it clicked and uh, the rest is sort of history. So if I have the, the timelines right, you would have mm -hmm. met her in about 2016. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, so, you know, you graduated 2008, go through this, <laughs> this period of time <laughs> of uh, figuring life out, uh, you know, that's quite a few years to kind of come around to full circle on this idea that had started and, and a long time to kind of develop it. Mm -hmm. um, at that point, were you guys ready to get fully into Tahala and make that your thing? 
No, it was a really slow process. I mean, even the licensing alone took a couple years to to get through the federal level and then the state level and then to work with Rhiannon and then set up a new distillery near her house. I mean, it takes takes time. So, you know, Matt's still working, you know, where he is and I'm Mm -hmm. where I am. You know, this is just a hobby. It was kind of the plan was uh, you see a lot of microbrewers have their day jobs and then they brew at night. And that was Mm -hmm. our plan. We never never saw this turning into a full-time business the way it did. What was that turning point for you then? Because it is your full-time yeah. thing now. Yeah, it is now. Um, so I was let go in the summer of 2016 and okay. just so happened that within about a month, um, I was out interviewing and trying to get jobs around here. Um, Rhiannon was also let go and it was like, okay, um, it's either now or never. We're going to do this and see where it goes. Um kind of only live once and that's when it began we made the dedicated push and matt was right there and ready to go yeah, i mean i was always like i said i was working like seasonal jobs that you know there's already a high turnover rate on so right. it's like it was nothing for me to just be like you know let's let's give this starting my own business thing another chance because that's always the kind of things that interest me in the get-go like I wanted to start that fantasy football platform Mm -hmm. that was something I was passionate about the other jobs I was working was just to like make money so when given another opportunity to like be involved in something at the ground floor level I mean those are the kind of things that interest me were you guys nervous at that point I mean you kind of were (laughs) you you needed better options Matt you didn't have any (laughs) no yeah I mean you were kind of pushed into it but were you yeah did you feel ready uh, I'd say yes. Um, looking back on that, like interviewing around here, it was, there's some really great companies in central PA. So there's options. You yeah. can always, I guess, get a job and it was, okay, if this doesn't work out, get a job. Like it's not, it's not too difficult, but, um, super nervous, I guess, you know, to go forward with it. But, um, we felt that we were prepared and we had the right people on the team that were, again, passionate about what they do and care and ready to fight. Nice. Yeah. Well, we're going to use that as our cliffhanger. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, a, a series that we're doing on the Hollis story. So you can tune back in uh, to hear what happens after that as you guys gear up for your fight. So uh, coming up on the next episode, Patrick and Matt talk about what it's like to make vodka how they compete with the big boys, and what it took to finally get on the shelves of liquor stores. A quick note, earlier in this episode, Pat said that Rhiannon started the World Spirits Competition. He meant to say she started the San Francisco World Whiskey Expo. The Hollis Story is a co-production of Hollis Spirits and Our York Media. It's produced by Will Hanlon and Caleb Robertson. You can learn more about Hollis Vodka at their website, hollispirits.com. I'm Rebecca Hanlon. Thanks so much for listening.